0: You're listening to a Skewed Orbit original podcast. Hey friends, welcome back to Highly Unlikely. I'm your host, Alex getlin and this is the show where I get my friends high and teach them about a subject that is so bizarre. It seems highly unlikely, but it is 100% true. Now my guest today is Alex Hooper. He is a hilarious stand-up comedian and an amazing roaster. In fact, he was one of the featured performers on Comedy Central Roast Battle and He's been on America's Got Talent, roasting the celebrity judges like Terry Crews, Sophia Vergara, Howie Mandel, and a whole bunch more. And today, we're going to learn about the war on drugs. Uh oh. Right, Alex, well, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show today. It
1: is such a pleasure it's to great be that... wherever we are,
0: <laughs> yeah, in this infinite white space. Uh, I'm gonna guess you're not a fan of the war on drugs. I, I like the band, okay, the war on right. drugs, yeah, uh,
1: but the actual, like, uh, Nixon initiated war on drugs, not my favorite thing,
0: yeah. So, that's my first point that you already know, just to start from there. So, the official war on drugs started June 18th, 1971. So it's been 50 years we've been fighting this ridiculous war. So the actual war on drugs really starts way back before that. That was kind of like how we know it to be the terminology today. There was a point in time when there was no concept of a war on drugs or stopping people from having whatever they want. You could just, you know, live your life. Right, when Coke was in Coca-Cola. Yeah, Like exactly. those days. So actually the first example of any sort of like government trying to intervene was during the opium wars do you know anything about those not really so the british and the chinese had a lot of trade routes with each other the British ended up bringing opium into China, and it actually had a really devastating effect in a lot of ways on the Chinese economy. You don't say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Introducing heroin into a neighborhood <laughs> has negative effects.
0: So then fast forward to the U.S. in 1875, the first like legislation that was put out in the U.S. was the city of San Francisco tried to ban opium dents. So there were like really popular places you could just go. Lay on some comfy pillows, smoke your opium, do your thing. And the city was like, yeah, this might become a problem. We need to maybe, you know, intervene.
1: Yeah, when they were just rolling cadavers down hills at the end of the night. They were yeah. like, these people can't climb these stairs. Just push them down.
0: Um, and at one point, there were actually 500 opium dens in New York City. <laughs> so at the height, yeah.
1: <laughs> and they were all in Trump Tower,
0: everyone. Yeah. Right. Dude, could you imagine? Oh, my God. (laughs) Here's what's interesting. Let's start with weed. We are on a weed show, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, You're a pretty frequent cannabis consumer, I would say, right?
1: Pretty Almost daily.
0: Yeah. And I think nowadays, like, we know, like... Okay. It's, I mean, I know some people consider it like a drug, like in the traditional sense, but obviously that's- serious. I started
1: smoking when I was 14 and my parents tried to blame it for my, my laziness on it and had nothing
0: to do with it. Yeah. What was your first weed experience like?
1: <laughs> so I was 14 years old. I was at my friend Cameron's house and we didn't have any rolling papers, So, but he had a detention slip. Yeah. So we actually rolled weed into a <laughs> detention slip and it was, I coughed so hard. I think it was because of the paper, not because sure. of the weed. Like we were smoking paper. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I got so baked and I just remember he wanting to eat everything in his fridge. Sure. And then
0: his mom came home and nobody talked. It's so funny. <laughs> Dude, that's also, yeah, because you have no idea when you're 14 that, like, oh, the chemicals on this paper slip for detention is not, like, what they make rolling papers out of. No,
1: <laughs> of course not. But, like, that's all we had. And we thought it was so badass. We're like, right. screw you, detention. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're, like, giving yourself, like, toxic fumes in your lungs.
1: Yeah, meanwhile, we're still eating Go-Gurt afterwards. <laughs> we're like, this is, we're yeah. children.
0: I loved Go-Gurt. Oh, man. What a great, of course, a high person thought of gogurt. Like, you okay. had to be i want yogurt but i want it as conveniently as possible i don't even want to use a spoon I just want to, like, why doesn't toothpaste taste more like
1: yogurt how could we combine <laughs> these things to create the ultimate product
0: oh man so here's something interesting so i don't know if you know this the founding fathers of this country actually grew hemp they were massive hemp farmers and it was pretty common hemp cultivation was a big commonplace crop in the u.s in fact the ten dollar bill in 1900, had a hemp farmer on the back of it. Like, that was the, instead of, like, a building of a government place, it was weird that he was giving a peace sign, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just, like, yeah. while holding the pitchfork in the yeah. other hand. Um, so the way that uh, hemp finally became illegal, and for those who don't know, hemp, cannabis, it's basically the same plant. There's just, like, some scientific nuances uh, between the two. But this is where it started to really become an issue with the U.S. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, Dude, why do people in power have to ruin everything cool? So, in 1910, after the Mexican Revolution, there was a big influx of Mexican labor coming into the US. So, a lot of folks from Mexico coming in to work on different farms here in the US. And a lot of those folks smoked marijuana, which, by the way, if you don't know, or maybe you don't know, marijuana, cannabis, marijuana is just the Spanish way of saying cannabis. It's the same thing. I didn't know that. Yeah. And actually, the reason they started calling it marijuana instead of cannabis was to give the stigma, which I'm going to explain a little bit more in a second. So people who wanted it to be illegal, they were trying to say, "Oh, these like Mexicans are using their marijuana." I can't do a good accent. You know what I'm saying here? And trying to give, solid, like, yeah, thank you. Like (laughs) a negative. Your your Del Taco order would have been (laughs) approved. Yeah, dude, I've eaten a lot of Del Taco and I've been high on weed. and they were trying to lay into that, like, racist fear of, like, oh, God, this, like, evil Mexican plant is going to ruin our culture. But the reason that they tried to put this stigma on, they were angry about this. William Randolph Hearst, do you know this gentleman? Yeah, sure. The Hearst so, Castle. Exactly. So he was, like, this mega, mega powerful media magnet. Uh, he had all kinds of newspapers, radio stations, etc. The thing is, hemp paper was becoming more and more popular. But he had a lot of his investments with wood being used as his newspapers. So he did a whole campaign to basically scare people away from this plant because it would hurt him from having extra billions of dollars. What a clown! And then at the same time, there was this other guy named Andrew Mellon, who. Uh,
1: he... Oh, I know the Mellons, dude. I went to school in Pittsburgh, so the Mellons are a very famous family. Do so you
0: know that? So this guy was the richest man in America for a while, mm-hmm. and he had a lot of money in uh, nylon. Okay. And so nylon was a competitor of hemp rope and he wanted everybody to buy nylon. So again, he, you know, all these, it's just like one of those things. It's like so annoying. It's like, okay, so hemp is like a better plant. It's a better product oh, but you need to have, like, more money, so you have to, like, run this whole ridiculous charade. And that's the thing.
1: I mean, that's what that's what all of these eventually come down to is just the politics of somebody saying, taking uh, things away from somebody else so that they can hoard, so yeah. they can have all
0: the money. It's so frustrating. Well, you know, I really do think that... We will look back on the war on drugs, like this whole kind of era, not even just the early history we're doing now, but like from Nixon on, we look at what happened with the crack uh, epidemic and everything and how we just treated these poor communities. I really think we're going to look back on it like, oh, yeah, like the way we look at other times in history when like women couldn't vote and, you know, black people were property. It's like, how could you do, like how did you guys not see this? And
1: my, my thing about it is like, when we make a plant illegal and yet these are the same people that go to church every sunday and are just like everything that god put in this world is divine except for this plant which could cost me money yeah right
0: exactly i know it's so insane i do think that um it, it seems like now most people in the u.s even if they don't like cannabis they're like but whatever it's not for me like it's it's almost when i meet somebody or i actually never meet these people in person, but I'll, like, see a video of someone who, like, claims that, like, cannabis is still, like, a real detriment to society. That, like, it's going to, like, actually ruin uh, America. It's like, what? Have you seen, like, what all the other things that we have in this country going? Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I always think whenever I see one of those videos, I'm like, how hard did you have to search to find the one person who thinks their son died because of marijuana or whatever you know? know
0: it's so insane yeah dude it's it's ridiculous um okay so that's a little bit about the early history of marijuana now the thing is there were a lot of drugs that were used in medication cocaine we talked about opiates another one heroin was in one and so in the early days There was no sort of like regulation or even letting people know what was in these miracle elixirs they would, you know, kind of hawk. So people would buy these things and, you know, if you don't know what's in it, you just kind of give it to yourself or your kids without any sort of like understanding. It can have some serious consequences. So, for example, the first regulation around that was in 1906. It was called the Pure Food and Drug Act. And it basically was uh, this medication that was called Mrs. Winslow's Soothing Syrup. And it was... Liquid opiates that was used to calm babies. So,
1: <laughs> okay. so basically, just giving babies barbiturates yes. essentially just to be like, stop crying. Exactly Here's what your it drugs,
0: was. go to sleep. I like that voice you did of, like, a Long Island mom. I don't know why that came out. I
1: I can do a lot of voices, but they're all over the place, so I never know what's going to
0: come out. No, it's great, dude. Um, But, yeah, the company Bayer Heroin, like Bayer Aspirin, same thing, you know. um, They were involved in it. But then basically, so the law um, came into effect to help people. They, They told these companies, look, you can sell this stuff, but you have to let people know what's in it, And so, which seems like, obvious but at the time it was just like it'll put your baby to sleep just trust us so there was no like it's it's i i forget that like oh that w- we had to like make that a thing at some point
1: yeah because you couldn't just go well it's my family's secret ingredient that's exactly <laughs> what they did I meanwhile there's like they're like taking raccoon poop and just squeezing <laughs> it into a beverage yeah it's like yeah we should tell people this
0: so then once that happened um they basically uh the, the appeal for these you know baby barbiturates tapered off pretty quickly. Babituates. Babituates. I like it. But b- yeah, yours is better. I was trying to like <laughs> I was trying to riff on it and it didn't work. Um they're not all gonna be winners, man. It's okay. It happens. You know, we'll do what we can. But here's an interesting too okay, interesting thing as well. Um so cocaine was used uh, for medical purposes for a while. And then I think we were talking about this before when we were smoking how Coca-Cola had cocaine in the soda. Uh which some folks know that but do you know how it ended up becoming illegal, like what started the stir where people were afraid of it? No, in the early days of sodas, most of the time you had to go to a like soda station. Like you couldn't just get bottled soda; you had to go sit at a counter. The guy would make it for gotta you. Bring your
1: best girl down there—that's <laughs> what you gotta do. And share a straw.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you could go and get Coca Cola with the cocaine in it at one of these soda bars. And this is in the early 1900s where these places were segregated so affluent white people could go and have their cocaine and they would feel great and all that stuff. Then, once they started bottling cocaine, it became accessible to more uh, low-income black people. And then a lot of these rich white people— got What, sp- you mean bottling Coca-Cola with cocaine? Yes. Right, okay. So it was in the bottle. So they were selling it, and you could get it from like a place you could pick up a bottle of Coca-Cola with the cocaine in it. Okay. So these you know poor African-Americans— while they couldn't get into the whites-only soda bar, they could buy a bottle of cocaine, and then they got this like weird f- – this is a real thing. People were f- afraid that black people would drink the cocaine-laced Coca-Cola and, like, stage a revolt and anger against white folks. <laughs> but you can look this up. It's real history. I'm not making this up. And it's just like, God, why – I mean, can't you just let everybody have the things that we all enjoy? And Some, some old white guy was like, this makes me feel good oh, we shouldn't give it to brown people. I mean, that's literally, I mean, how, I mean, it's funny because it's so long ago, but it's also like, how insanely absurd is that? You know, like, and also they were probably already way stronger than you anyway.
1: They don't <laughs> need cocaine dude, to be able to for, overpower you. For
0: sure, dude, absolutely. Oh, it's so funny. Okay, so let's jump ahead a little bit to kind of what we think of as the modern war on drugs, right? Nixon started it in 1971. Now, do you know what kind of, um, spurred him kind of wanting to start, kick off this campaign
1: I mean I know I, from what I understand it was a lot of it was to basically marginalize minority groups like black people things like that the more we can get off the streets into jails and things like that for very petty offenses then the less they will vote I,
0: da, 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 da. yeah so that's a big part of it that also happened during prohibition that was a thing too is people who were advocating alcohol prohibition obviously just to clarify um a lot of folks were advocating for it. Really, when you read through the lines, it was like, oh, this is an easy way to go after, you know, drunk black people, drunk Catholics. They didn't like European Catholics coming in from – they were not like the more native WASPy type uh, people that ran the country. Um, and it was, again, just a bullshit way to attack people you don't like. So that was a huge part of it, right? It was a way to attack the hippie counterculture that Nixon didn't like. And also – what happened is a lot of these guys coming back from Vietnam were getting addicted to heroin over there. You know, it turns out you send a bunch of people into a war zone, especially a war that, like, we really didn't need to be in in the first place. Now, hang on a second. <laughs> Let's not go there. No. So we had to stop the spread of communism, Alex, because... All right, anyway. <laughs> so that was a thing. So these, you know, GIs are coming back, terribly addicted to heroin, and then they kind of lumped this all together. And Nixon even said his, like, big thing... Was he said if we cannot destroy the drug menace in america then it will surely in time destroy us and i really think that's interesting that quote that he used because he was and really when you look at the history of the war on drugs it's done like countless damage to so many people that have been hurt by it you know unnecessarily and it's like nixon had at least on paper had this fear of drugs ruining so much of america and it's like oh yeah well actually the war on drugs did infinitely more damage. Oh yeah, than the actual drugs could ever do. Yeah,
1: I mean, like, I mean, people die of overdoses and things like that. The mistakes happen. Things occur. That's yeah. true. But like, when you take millions of people away from their families, from their freedoms, from their purpose for, uh, and strip them of everything of value, sure. Yeah, you're destroying so many more lives than the one person who was doing the drugs.
0: Yeah, it's insane. I mean, the, the most absurd thing is that they, even to this day, although it's just a bit changing now, they're like, okay, well, we have this thing. We though it's What it effectively is is this massive demand for a substance you don't want, or substances you don't want folks to be consuming. And your answer is to attack the supply chain. But the demand is what is the damage here. So instead of addressing the demand, you're going after the like. How is that not um you know the most obvious? I mean, I guess there's no money in rehab. Well, there you go. Right? (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna get to that more in a second. (laughs) You feel like you just jumped nine points ahead, Alex? Yeah. (laughs) No, it's good. Yeah. Um, but just like as an example of like how this this is an example too of like how things just like they get momentum, this grow out of control. Nixon's uh, first drug war budget was 100 million dollars. If you had to guess what the annual budget for fighting the war on drugs is now just be factoring all the different elements dude i'm gonna say 40 billion you're very close 51 billion dollars damn some people <laughs> estimate it, it could be as, as much of a trillion when you look at like all the various factors so for example right let's say a guy gets picked up for like low level crack dealing or possession whatever he goes to jail loses his job. The people who depend on him now need more government services. The children lose a father in the home. They are, so it's like this insane domino effect. Right. You know, but yeah, so 100 million 50 years ago, 51 billion a year, a year that our tax dollars go. You know, I know it's kind of a serious subject too, but I figure like one of the best ways we can sort of, raise awareness is, like, make it an entertaining thing. too. Yeah, well, I mean, you went through the D.A.R.E. program, right? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, the D.A.R.E. program has been proven time and time again to not work. I mean, I specifically remember in sixth grade, a police officer saying, in your neighborhood, when you get to the school, you might be offered marijuana, cocaine, PCP. And I was like, I will? Like, I'm, like, 11 years old. I'm like, who's
0: giving me PCP? You're like, where is this neighborhood? How do I get there? PCP, yeah. I will say that is the drug uh, of all the like drugs I've heard of and, and it had some awareness of. I don't think I've ever seen it or <laughs> even known anyone. I even know where to
1: get it? Yeah. Like, and I know where to get everything uh, allegedly. Uh, but like, <laughs> if someone asked me, like, you, you, I would, I would be like, How did you find me?
0: Yeah. What, dude. On, let's talk about you for a second. Right. that You
1: want PCP?
0: Yeah. What does PC? I think it's supposed to be like something. Sane, amphetamine, right? Oh or- yeah, it's it is the
1: invincibility drug. Like that's like, whenever you see a video of like a naked person trying to fight a cop, and they're in the middle of the street, and they're bloody, and there's a sword sticking out of their leg, but they're yeah. just walking fine. That's PCP. Oh my <laughs> god, dude! Like you don't know what's you're so distorted from reality that you have no idea what's happening.
0: Yeah, there's definitely like to me, there's like the fun drugs, you know, like weed, obviously mushrooms. Acid's a pretty fun I only do the fun ones, yeah. Yeah. And then there's, like, PCP and, like, I don't know, like the real heavy painkillers seem like kind of a bummer. Dude, meth, heroin
1: crack, PCP, anything any opiate that comes from a laboratory of some kind like I always say I like my drugs made the old fashioned way by a hippie wearing overalls, swirling chemicals in
0: a bathtub (laughs) with a broom. That's who I trust There you go, Don't
1: put me in some laboratory that looks like this. Yeah. Pumping out medication.
0: You do look like an acid trip right now. I mean (laughs) For people only listening to the audio version like Alex Hooper Google him right now and you'll see. I mean, this watches America's got talent clips and you'll see like a typical Alex Hooper outfit, but he's got these like neon disco ball colored green blue boots and then a neon pink, black, and yellow furry like Chewbacca coat. Yep. And then these awesome like pink purple sunglasses that it kind of remember Nickelodeon, the green slime that would splat. It yeah, looks kind of exactly like that. That's exactly what
1: these look like. Dude, yeah.
0: I love it, man. It's so great. Um, okay. So. One other thing that is really like crazy to consider, but it's, it just really puts in perspective like, what, what, end the war, end the war on drugs, guys. If that could happen in my lifetime, I would be so happy. If somebody watched my silly weed show and they're like, hey, man, you know, you helped us learn like a little bit more about the war on drugs. That, if you fail for 50
1: years straight, yeah, understand that you failed. Like, no company that was losing money for 50 years would continue being a company.
0: So not only have they failed, I want to find this because this is such an important stat that I learned. That It's like, dude, that there's no way, like on that note, there's no way that anybody could fail for this long and still be successful. So check this out. As far as, like, the DEA, right? That's the Drug Enforcement Agency If anybody doesn't know. They were formed in 1973, and they have an annual budget of about two billion dollars. Okay, so they get so just them is two billion just for that one organization. Now, in 2005, the DEA seized 1.4 billion dollars in drug-related assets, and then 477 million dollars worth of drugs. Okay, that's how much they seized. Now, the White House Office of Drug Control Policy estimated that yearly. The total amount of drugs in the U.S. sold is sixty-four billion dollars worth. So that means the DEA has less than a one percent success rate at removing drugs off the street.
1: I'm actually surprised it's not higher than sixty-four billion, to be, <laughs> because I'm just thinking like, well, I spend like forty billion. <laughs> so like, what is? What are the rest of the people doing? Yeah. But no, that does. I mean, yeah, they're Of course, like, no, it doesn't matter if how many people you put on the streets how many investigations you do yeah. drugs are going to be there no matter what
0: yeah dude you just you it's can- so insane but it's like to me it's like after 50 years even after 10 years they wouldn't be like okay so we're only getting not even 1% of the drugs off the market why are we 2 billion dollars a year like what company would function that way yeah, so insane. And I'm a big proponent of just free choice. Like, let people
1: do what they want to do with their bodies. Totally. In the same way I feel about prostitution, about even, like, self-euthanasia and sure. things like that. Yeah, like, yeah. If, you, if you're if you 78 years old, you lived a great life, and now you're dying, but you're not dying
0: fast enough for you. Yeah. Pff, hell
1: yeah, man. Take those Baybitiewicz and go to
0: town. <laughs> Dude, I, you know what? Honestly, like, especially the, like... From what I've read, our generation is predicted, people who like have Western medicine, we're predicted to make it up to 150 years old. And it's like, you know what? At a certain point, like if you get to 100, even it's like, all right, boop, I would love to like blast off oh, yeah. into space. I
1: read, a, I read a statistic recently. It was a part of a book. I think it was in this book called Utopia for Realists, mm-hmm. which is about how to actually form a utopia that will work. But it said, once thing, scientists have already predicted that somebody has already been born that will live to a thousand. And now that seemed very far-fetched to me. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, 150, 200 with the way drugs are going, like.
0: Well, from so tangent, but it's interesting. I've, what I've read about that, so there, what it requires is, like, uh, technology that can rejuvenate your cells. So there's, like, certain cells in your heart and other organs that, you, that just die over time. And so far, science has made it where we can, like, slow that down. But it has to get to a point where it can, like, kind of reverse it in a way to prolong it to a thousand years and so i just think about that and it's like okay well if elon musk is already working on inventing like computer chips that link up with our brain like there's going to be some like crazy billionaire that figures out like how to live forever
1: i just who who would want to like honestly because at that point you're not you're not if i could live together in the form that i am right now if i could live to 500 i might go for that but like the deterioration of my entire body is going to continue even if those cells are going you're not going to still be vibrant you know you're
0: not going to be cartwheeling down the highway also like you don't need to be around that long like how selfish are you 500 years come on dude think about how many people are you see watch die like
1: every single person you're like oh you didn't get these drugs well, you know, well, Dude, we, we got fifty years tops together, so make it count.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, there's gonna be like the one, per- like ultimate one percenters who get to live forever, and there's like, oh yeah, sorry that, uh, you know, like. Being only a certain age is definitely going to be like a class thing. Like, oh, you made it to 300? Yeah. Like, that's like, oh, my grandpa's a 1,000. It's like, oh, it's like, you know, like bragging about your parents' hedge fund or something. One like day that I'm going
1: to propose to someone. I'll be like, just so you know, you are my 22nd
0: marriage. But
1: <laughs> the first 21 are long dead. Don't even worry. This is hundreds of years
0: ago. It's so funny. So anyway, so just another note back on, like, some of the effects that the war on drugs has had. So in 1971... Prison population in the US was 200,000. And today it's over 2 million. And USA. I mean, you know, we do run the world, (laughs) and then, God, prison would be so scary. I know that's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever been arrested
1: or anything? No, I've never. And the only thing I ever would have been arrested for would have been possession of drugs. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's always been a shitty thing for me. Is just like I'll go out for a weekend to like on a camping trip or something like that, knowing that. I could be pulled over and my life could be stripped from me sure. just for wanting to go take some
0: mushrooms in the middle of the woods. And that, first of all, that's how awesome mushrooms are because they are awesome. Yes. Uh, I would love to do another season where we do Highly Unlikely, but we get people high on mushrooms.
1: Oof! <laughs> <laughs> I'd be so afraid to do that on camera because you'd be like talking. I'd be like, I'm in my own. Just Can you just not right now, dude? I'm like trying, just trying to deal with my own thing. Just
0: like, I'll be in here. <laughs> um, But yeah, it's... I mean, the idea that someone could be locked in a cage for having a plant. The worst. Yeah. Um,
1: it's unjust. It's,
0: it's everything about
1: it just makes my blood boil when I think about yeah. somebody being stripped away from their family for a, for a joint. You so, know? Yeah. It's disgusting.
0: Even, I mean, even honestly, to I think to a lot of extent, the dealer side, remove the violence if that's not a part of it, but someone, they're like, listen, if you grow up in a certain part of the country or world, you have the options in front of you that you have. Like it's really, really immoral to to ruin someone's life because they're like, well, I mean, you know, there's not exactly jobs coming into my community. I have no role models to look up to, and uh, I guess like this is how I'm going to feed myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course you know what I mean. Like, yeah, but I do. Um, but just this is another stat where I was like, when I learned this, like, oh my god, this is wild. So according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, which pretty self-explanatory what that is, 46% of the inmates are currently incarcerated on drug offenses. That means those inmates for drug offenses are there more than robbery, burglary, theft, larceny, counterfeiting, fraud, extortion, embezzlement, homicide, kidnapping, assault, and sex offenders combined. All of those combined makes up less of the prison population than drug offenses
1: it's almost as if like we have to keep the prisons full to satisfy like some other entity that like some corporation or whatever it may be and so the only way to do that is to find things well what's everybody doing drugs okay good then that's something we can do it's the same thing if you started arresting everybody that started to drive that drove a car you know they're like oh people a lot of people are driving cars not that many people are stealing them Way more people are driving them, so if we make that illegal,
0: so on that note, uh, Corrections Corp America, which is the biggest private prison organization, (laughs) my homepage. (laughs) (laughs) Like God, if you know what, uh, sometimes you have like funny thoughts, and like I just imagined like you as a prison guard, like what that would be (laughs) like, and it's
1: like I don't even. I mean, I'd be like, all right. can I get some of that toilet wine? <laughs> like, are you going to share
0: it? I'm not going to confiscate it. Like, if I could think of jobs that you would be so unsuited for, that is, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, yeah, so Corrections Corp of America has spent over $20 million trying to lobby Congress to make sure that we keep drug laws in effect, you know, all those things. And, by the way, it cost the taxpayers about $80 billion a year. to keep all these people. Locking
1: someone up is not cheap. I mean, I remember hearing a statistic, and I'm pretty sure it's somewhat accurate. It's about $40,000 a year Mm. to keep a prisoner in prison. And I think that's actually probably a lowball estimate. So yeah, they're not contributing anything. Now all they're doing is costing society yeah. money. You're taking away their their right to work, so they're going to be uh and like good for society, like improving it and being a contributor. Yeah. Everything and then you're taking our money to take care of that person now.
0: It's so fucked. You know, I think the issue is we d- <laughs> It's like, what do you want prison to serve as, as, as its role in society, right? Like, on the service, you're like, well, it's to punish bad people. Okay, fine. But, like, there's different kinds of bad people. Like, did this person murder someone? Then maybe they should spend their whole life in a cage. But, like, oh, maybe they, like, not even just drug possession. But, like, look, driving drunk is bad, a problem, you know. But, like, if someone goes, to, and you should be punished. But if someone goes to jail for, for drunk driving, fair. But let's set them up so they don't make more mistakes when they get out. How about we teach them some life skills? Maybe they can learn how to, you know, work a job, learn a trade skill. How about some coping mechanisms? How about some emotional intelligence training? You know, we don't do any of that. We just say, all right, figure it out. Yeah. And then, of course, like, you know, then they can't get jobs in the real world because as soon as they
1: see a felony conviction on there, they're just like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but... uh." <laughs> In and out doesn't take your kind.
0: I feel like you should have to be drunk to work at In and Out.
1: I mean, honestly, that safety pin is so big;
0: like it's huge. Just... Yeah, I love. It's so funny. I do love In and Out, but um, yeah. So, <clears throat> other than the private prison organi- uh, industry. There's actually a few other organizations, um, conglomerates, if you will, who are really in favor of keeping this drug war going. Almost like they're the only people who've been exclusively funding these campaigns to lobby Congress to really keep the drug industry uh, or to, to keep drugs illegal and keep their industries afloat. So the alcohol industry is a huge one. Makes sense, right? You know, if more drugs are available people drink less which also like is good like i mean you know i'll drink from time to time but i smoke way more weed than i drink and it's like i have you know various friends who are in law enforcement they're always like yeah i've never shown up to someone's house like when they're high on weed and they've like hit their wife it's always like booze or something else you know
1: yeah, no, no. All you want to do when you get high is just play with is just play with toys, watch cartoons, experience nature. I've never, yeah, never in my life the amount of times that I've been super high with a lot of people have I ever seen a fight break out while people were on
0: on smoking weed. But the two that I thought was like those are kind of obvious to me: the private prisons and the alcohol industry. The two that I was like, wow, I never considered that is the drug testing organizations. So these companies who make hundreds of millions of dollars off drug testing they're like we need to keep these drugs legal because now there is some you know good involved in those organizations but like on whole though they make a lot of money having this industry afloat where the, you know different companies will pay to have drug testing and they use it for the court system and rehab and whatnot and The rehab industry, and of course there is good to rehab, like rehab is important, but they make a lot of money by court or mandated rehab, right? So again, they're the ones who were like funding all of these campaigns. And it's just interesting that like, you know, even something that is like noble, like, you know, rehabilitation for someone with addiction. Oh, but then it's like when insane profits get involved, then, you know, it starts to get in this gray area. I think that happens to a lot of companies is they start off on a mission
1: to really do good and be a productive corporation in our society. But if suddenly when you watch your profits go down, get stripped by millions because of certain things, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got all these employees to take care of. I have two houses. I got to right. wait wait. What do I need to do? Oh, yeah, people shouldn't be doing drugs. That's not good,
0: you know? Yeah, it's interesting, too. I do wonder, like, you know, now there's such this infrastructure um, of, I mean, the the war on drugs has turned Mexico into, like, a narco state. I mean, I've listened to so many, uh, you know, interviews with, like, experts in the field who's like, we have done so much damage to that country by making this war on drugs because we've made these cartels more powerful than their own government. And so I wonder, like, that infrastructure is there if we do decriminalize drugs like what happens like you know that's such another fallout we have to prepare for because it's not like these massive criminal organizations are just like all right well i guess we can't sell drugs anymore and like you know i mean like it's just like even more Damage That we have to like watch out for. Um, yeah, that part that was really tough because I there would obviously be like kingpins that
1: rise up. But also if the government like what they're doing with weed and they just take control of sure. the industry, there's positives and negatives to that, obviously, like, but in the end, just control. Yep. what you're able to sell in your product and then take it away like honestly dude you do you remember like our children will never know what it's like to show up to a sketchy parking lot at 11 p.m. on a Friday night to meet up with Rico right, you, yeah. who you've never met in your life and then you're just hoping that he, <laughs> this guy climbs into your car and doesn't take your goddamn money yes. and then he just gives you a bag of, of
0: gi joe toys and ferns and you smoke that you're like thank god i'm not dead right yeah and it's like also like what other industry would like you have to like like let's say the person's delivering it to you and then they're like oh is it cool if i like hang out and have some of this with you
1: (laughs) can you imagine if like the geek squad that comes to fix your internet right just so you know though, i gotta write a proposal so just give me like two hours in your house thanks Uh, like
0: it's like okay i mean i don't know anybody else who could sell me this i'll say yes but it's really annoying. Annoying.
1: Dude, no joke. One time I went to go buy weed from someone I'd never bought from before. And they were like, yeah, just come over to my house. Um, I was 17, so a senior in high school. And I showed up to this person's house with my friend. They were watching cops. And on cops, they were showing a raid of a suspected drug dealer's home. Yeah, I've never been more uncomfortable in my (laughs) fucking life. I'm sitting here watching this guy, watching cops bust down a door to a suspected drug dealer. Meanwhile, I'm looking at a suspected drug dealer
0: hoping like is this my future am i should i be watching this imagine if it was live and you say oh it's me oh. <laughs> no get me out um so let's talk about cocaine a little bit so you want to talk about cocaine man
1: because <laughs> i got ideas man
0: uh so you know what's really funny is that like the the attitude around cocaine when crack was invented from like our government's take on it like It just shows, again, like, the hypocrisy and, like, the wild double standards they have.
1: Yeah, because they were doing cocaine. Meanwhile, they were looking down on the people who were
0: doing crack. Exactly. So, well, cocaine, originally before crack was invented and it was just cocaine, it was seen as, like, a rich person's drug. And it was glamorized in movies like Scarface. And it was kind of this idea of, like, you got to be wealthy to do it. And it's, like, a party drug. And so it didn't have that stigma, like, oh, that's a poor person's drug. And then... When crack was discovered and people figured out, oh, you can take, you know, free-based cocaine, smoke it, and it's a really cheap form, then it became accessible to lower-income people. And then, of course, as with everything, you know, the stigma is like, oh, gross, like poor people are doing it. And unfortunately, it created this, like, incredibly powerful drug culture around the dealers um, selling it. But from 1982 to 1984, the amount of cocaine coming into the the U.S. increased by 50%. Now... Here's another thing. At the same time, Ronald Reagan was our president. And I don't know if you know this, but our government... Do you know about what happened in Nicaragua with the Reagan administration and the um, anti-Sand... So Sandinista was the communist leader of Nicaragua. Okay. So we had had our government of Nicaragua that, like, the U.S. put into power. They got overthrown. The Communist Party took over. America didn't like that. So the CIA started funding these... um, contras was what they were called they were like anti-communist rebels And we were funding them. We were giving them weapons. We were like, yeah, you can, you know, fight this war against communism for us. And through this whole endeavor, we basically opened trade routes for them to get cocaine into the U.S.
1: Hilarious. Right? Exactly.
0: So, you know, the very abridged on version is we're sending them weapons and guns. We're basically (laughs) turning a blind eye to let them use smugglers to get cocaine and copious amounts into the country, all under the guise of like, but we're fighting communism to save America. Again, another thing, we're like the attitude was that communism was going to destroy America, but then we allowed this crack epidemic to like ruin all of our major cities and like do way more damage. Yep. I mean, the, the
1: people at the top do not know what's best for the people at the bottom. Yeah. Or it, even actually most of the people at the top. Yeah, it
0: really kind of seems like it. So in 1986, so the crack epidemic was like out of control and it really made really, really horrible violence, sadly.
1: um I'm from Baltimore. I've seen it. Oh, so you know, dude. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Um, so the wire, of course, everybody knows the wire. If you know about the drug war, so uh, I'd say it's a, from what I know, it's a fairly accurate, completely,
1: it's shockingly accurate, which is why it's so good. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in '86, Reagan signed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which basically uh, disproportionately started affecting crack users and uh, dealers and whatnot way more than cocaine. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. A major reason is that was an election year. And um, you know, the attitude was like, Hey, we gotta uh, you know, stop all this crazy violence. It's out of control. I'm gonna run on this anti drug like anti drug campaign. It was just like all, you know, it, it was not thought out or maybe it was thought out, which is even, you know, more evil uh thought that like, oh, we're gonna hurt these poor people way more. I'm sure there was elements to that, of course. But it was just like that's how it kind of all started. People hear that, you know, crack offenses have such a stricter sentencing than cocaine offenses. And it was because of these ridiculous new laws they made to try and combat the gang violence and the attitude. Again, they weren't going after the supply. Excuse me. They weren't going after the demand. There wasn't an attitude of like, how do we give these people help? How do we work with people who are addicted to crack and you know help them have resources? So they don't have this terrible problem. No, it was just let's go after the dealers. And that'll somehow magically fix it.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the numbers game of just like, but see how many we seize? See how many people we arrested? We're making a difference. And meanwhile, like that's a, you're not
0: actually solving a problem. You're literally you're just creating. more problems. Yeah. So on that note of like, we got to show how much of a difference we're making. So George H.W. Bush, the crack epidemic is still terrible when he's in office. So through his DEA, they want to do something like very... Uh, like a big gesture for television to show they're fighting the war on drugs so one of the dea undercover agents sets up a drug buy in front of the white house so he calls one of his crack dealer connects and he's like hey i want to buy some crack can you meet me at the white house and per this undercover this is real it's a hundred percent real hundred percent real Per this own DEA agent's, like, interview, he said the dealer didn't even know how to find the White House. He was just like, I've never been to that part of the city. What do you, okay, fine. And that's um, relevant because then so he does the buy, the guy gets arrested, and then George Bush, uh, to try and show how terrible the, it's gotten, he's like, this was sold in front of, the, he's holding up a bag of, of crack cocaine on camera. This was sold in front of the White House. That's how bad it's gotten. People are openly dealing crack. In front of the white house and it's like yeah but the guy didn't even know how to get there like you guys made this happen
1: i can't believe george hw was able to hold a bag of crack and not just start smoking it like (laughs) i mean the temptation there he must have really done a deep meditation before he went out for that one so
0: funny dude yeah um have you uh heard about what the cia did with LSD and MK Ultra.
1: Oh sure. Oh, yeah. I know all about those. I've watched a ton of documentaries about those experiments. <laughs> you, you
0: seem like you would be that. You're dressed it's, for the experiment.
1: I just think, like, I, I, I do think every, like, I think a great way to do acid is in a dark. Room where you just let your brain take over. And it's not always the way you should do it, sure. but if you're an experienced LSD per like user who understands what it's gonna do to you, you can have some genuinely huge breakthroughs yeah. and amazing experiences by just letting your brain by taking away all stimulants and letting your brain do the work. However, if you don't know that you've been <laughs> given acid and you're thrown into a room that looks similar to this, and yeah. then they're just talking to you, like, what do
0: you feel? right now oh my God. you're like
1: you're uh, 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 I can't even imagine
0: yeah there's actually a book there's a lot of uh, theories that um, Charlie Manson the serial killer and the cult leader was one of the people who was experimented on by the CIA with this uh you know MK Ultra LSD and they were testing it by the way because they wanted to see if they could use it as like a truth serum right. to interrogate people and they think that might have made him go crazy because of all these cr- not that LSD will make you a serial killer but like um, as far as I know you know but uh, <laughs> I can tell you it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but just like, it, you know, again, like the government like was just like rolling the dice and like had this, you know, insane thing happen. But I do think that's an interesting point. I didn't consider that. That Like, yeah, if you know you're on psychedelics, it's usually pretty awesome. But if you don't know you're on it and you have no awareness of what they do, dude, I'm just thinking about all the times I've done mushrooms. If somebody like mushroom mushroom dosed me and I didn't know. Yeah, like, I think, like, I I would, I would know, I would start to feel the effects, like, and I'd be like, okay, I feel like I'm starting to
1: trip, but if you had never done that before, you're literally being poisoned. Like, you're just taking a mild amount of poison, so you would think you were just getting very sick, there might be a bacteria flowing through you, but then as soon as, like, the real, like, visualizations and all that start, what else are you supposed to think except that you've gone psychotic?
0: yeah. All right, guys, before we wrap up this episode, I want to take a second and thank our friends over at Stash Monkey. If you've got a stash you're looking to store safely and responsibly, Stash Monkey's got you covered. Stash Monkey is a combination-locking, smell-proof stash box that you can use to store cannabis, prescriptions, or really just about anything you want to store safely. The owner's a friend of mine, and he invented Stash Monkey because, just like me, he's a dad who enjoys cannabis and wants to store his stash safely and responsibly. I own one myself, and it's a great product. It comes with a built-in rolling tray and a removable silicone organizer you can use for things like vape pens and cartridges. Stash Monkey's a big supporter of all of our podcasts on the Skewed Orbit Network, and if you want to order one, head over to stashmonkeystore.com slash skewed. Again, that's com slash skewed, spelled S-K-E-W-E-D. You'll save 5% on your order, and it really helps out the show. So, thoughts on the war on drugs after our conversation today? got to say
1: not signing up to fight it anytime soon <laughs> yeah. uh or maybe i am that i do fight the war on drugs yeah. uh, i i just the war believe, on behalf of drugs yes i believe people should be able to do with whatever they choose with their own bodies and the government shouldn't be messing with it especially if it's for monetary gains unfortunately that's what this entire capitalist society is based off of and until we can all learn that we are one organism coexisting to create a better world for all of us then unfortunately there will always be these germs that come in and try to infect all of us very well said
0: i also wanted to mention right now alex has a book he just put out called Roast Yourself to Happiness. You can find it right now on Amazon. It's a great read. Uh, what are folks gonna who want to learn about this book? What are they going to see? What are they gonna so learn? this is
1: a self-help workbook for people that would scoff
0: at the idea of self-help. I wrote
1: this for the twenty early 20s version of myself that thought I knew everything but really didn't know a damn thing about how to be a person uh so this will teach you how to write roast jokes how to make fun of yourself how to tear yourself down then build yourself back up to take the power away from others stop judging start
0: owning everybody dude very well said. I love it. And where can everybody check you out, follow you, find you, all that good stuff? My website is
1: hoopercomedy.com. Go there for all of my tour dates. My podcast is Achilles Heel, released every single Monday. You can also find that on my website. And all of my social media is at hooperhairpuff,
0: one word. Very easy to find. Dude, I love it. So Alex, thank you again for coming on the show. It was such a treat having you today. Guys, I've been your host, Alex Getlin. We'll see you next time. Thank you again for checking out Highly Unlikely. Seriously, this is my favorite project I've done so far. So, if you have a second, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen. And if you really want to help us grow the show, pick your favorite episode and send it to a friend. Follow us on Instagram at Highly Unlikely Show for lots of bonus content. And if you like this show, check out this other hilarious podcast from some friends of ours. Are you an old soul, a 90s kid, obsessed with the 80s, or do you just have no clue what anyone over 40 is ever talking about? invade the decade has you covered invade the decade is
1: a weekly comedy podcast where millennial comics avery brian and macy travel to a random month from history and review the most popular music television and movies to see if the past really was as great as boomers say it is like this song is playing right now is it good i don't know i can't figure it out head on over to invade to subscribe on your podcast app of choice